Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another bonus edition of Truth and Justice. This week, I have a very special treat for you. I'm joined by Mr. Jared Bradley. Jared is the president and CEO of MVAC Technologies, and he's the son of the creator of the MVAC system used to collect DNA today. After a short break, Jared is going to explain the origins of MVAC, how it works, and how it could be used to finally find the truth in the West Memphis 3 case. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jared, I, I, I explained a little bit who you are in, in the intro, but can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience of who you are and what your connection is to, you know, your background, what your connection is to MVAC, uh, and, uh, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course. Yeah, first of all, I, I really appreciate the chance to come on here, Bob. You know, being on here with the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> um, you know, you just can't go wrong uh, hanging out with Bob Ruff, so... Yeah, uh, Jared Bradley. I'm the son of the founder of MVAC Systems, actually, and so, you know, ma- made it into this uh, partly by default, but I also have a, a sales and a, a strong science background, so it kind of made sense to, to come on board with, uh, with my dad when he was first launching the MVAC into the food industry. That was back in 2007. And, you know, it was, the system was originally designed to collect E. coli and salmonella, things like that off of food surfaces. And, cause my dad had a background in microbiology and, and, um, we even studied viruses, uh, ironically, you know, with everything that's going on right now. But, mm-hmm. uh, my dad passed away in 2009 and, uh, a couple of years later we started uh, delving into the forensics industry and that we pivoted into the forensics in 2012 and that's where we've been ever since. We just found out that, um, the forensics industry is a win-win. You know, we, we provide a level of sensitivity in collecting DNA material that other, other, um, collection methods just can't come even remotely close to. And, Frankly, everybody in the forensics industry, other than the criminal, you know, wants to find it. So it, it was it was a good match for us. So I, I had no idea that this was originally designed for food, not for forensics at all. Like, what was that? How did that? I, I know how the MVAC works to collect DNA. I mean, how how did that? Pro, was there a certain filter that would filter out certain things like Salmonella, E. coli? How did that work? Well, uh, the mechanism's a little bit different. The collection itself is the exact same, and we are really fortunate. We didn't even have to alter the the physics of the the MVAC at all in order to switch from E. coli over to uh, the you know DNA material like skin cells and things. But the way that uh, it worked in the in the in the food industry is 
as as the E. coli, for example, or bacteria, whatever, was collected into the collection bottle, then uh, you would just culture it from there. So instead of um, concentrating it down onto the filter like what we do with forensics, they would actually uh, add that liquid to some kind of a medium that would stimulate the growth of the bacteria that you were targeting. And then, you know, then you could go to like PCR and things like that. So uh, after the collection was done, that's when the the two methods uh, differed. But the actual collection itself is the exact same. So how did the how did you guys make the jump from the food industry into forensics? Well, oh, by the way, I, I I didn't really explain how the MVAC works. I don't know if your audience actually knows that. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. Go ahead if you want to break that down. Yeah, well, I the easiest way that I've ever used to uh, to talk and kind of describe it to someone that's never actually seen it, and I know it's it's difficult to envision, but if if you envision how a carpet cleaner works, and then there's always an attachment that you use for like stairs in your couch where it's got an individual hose and then kind of a handheld uh, device where it sprays the liquid down and vacuums at the same time. And that's kind of the way the MVAC works. So just imagine just a, me- a medical grade version of that where it's all sterile and, you know, the liquid that it sprays down is sterile. And so, you know, you're not introducing any contamination to the surface that you're collecting from, uh, which is super important, obviously. But the um, the the way that it, yeah, I, I mean, a, a medical grade carpet cleaner is probably the the easiest way to describe it. Yeah, I, you know, I I always had a hard time picture. I you know, I had I, th- I think I had spoken with you years ago. I had spoken with other people about it, and Jim Clementi, a mutual friend of ours. But I didn't really understand it until I went to the lab at Pure Gold Forensics when we were shooting our our TV series, and Susanna Ryan demonstrated it to me, and then it was like, oh, that makes that makes perfect sense how it works. Right. Yeah. I I, I can't tell you how many people have actually looked at that and, and actually seen it work, and then gone, you know, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it it right. the concept of is actually fairly simple. Uh, but where the magic is actually happened is where the, the airflow, you know, the vacuum pressure is separated from the sample itself. And that, that's what really makes the MVAC unique. Because if you look at a, at a regular carpet cleaner or even a shop vac or something like that, imagine all that bacteria going into a shop vac. Well, now the entire shop vac is contaminated and you can't, uh, even if it was on the bacteria side, you'd have to sterilize the entire shop vac, and which is almost impossible to do. So then if you start looking at forensics, now you're dealing with DNA, and especially if you're actually collecting DNA in order to move like a, a criminal case forward, now you have to guarantee that you haven't carried over contamination from one case to another. So if you're if you're using a shop vac on one one case and you're collecting DNA and then you try to sterilize it, how do you know with 100% certainty that you haven't collected you know carried DNA from one case to the next? And you know it, it gets really messy from there. And that's that's really what makes the the MVAC unique is that everything that touches DNA or has DNA material in it is a one-time use. And so, you, you, it, you know, you discard the, the part that actually collects the DNA, and then the vacuum is, itself is preserved. So that, that'd be like the, the nozzle, the tube, the tubing, all that gets, re, gets thrown out every time? Well, it, I mean, some things you can reuse because the DNA stops at the collection bottle, but everything forward of the collection bottle that has DNA in it, yeah, it's a one-time use. Right. So... Let me know if this if this is an accurate explanation, but this is how I explain it to people is from the way it was demonstrated to me is you take a sterile, uh, say you know, the say a, with a T-shirt, like a, a sterile tub of some kind and put the whole shirt in it. Where with previous methods, you had to pick a couple spots and take a, a, a cotton swab and try to swab some DNA off of the surface. But in this case, use. You you spray it down with a sterile solution, kind of agitating it and, and 
and getting into the nooks and crannies, breaking up and, and pulling everything that, that, that is inside of that cloth out. And it creates kind of a, a wash in the bin. You know, the shirt's wet and there's sterile solution in the bin. And then you switch to the vacuum side of it. And then you vacuum all that sterile solution that now contains anything that was in the shirt, including DNA out of the, out of the shirt, out of the bin until you have it all out and as it cuz it sucks back through it's it's all filtered through this it was a disc the way that uh, Susanna showed it to me uh, a disc that would collect everything and then there's a bottle on the other end that if everything's done right should just be crystal clear water out the other end where all the DNA would be caught on the disc and then the disc kind of becomes what was it the old school becomes the swab you cut pieces of the disc off then and and test those for for present dna samples is that does that sound about right yeah it's pretty close (laughs) (laughs) you know there's there's different ways to use it and you know you can you can sample down to a pretty pretty small area um or you can you can use a really big area like what you described with the tub you know i had it's uh the, the amount of liquid people use varies as well, you know, depending on what they're looking for and how big the stain is, or, you know, if they're just looking for touch DNA, they got to cover a large area to try to try to get where the, the touch DNA is. So it, it varies on kind of how the, how you use it. But if there's any kind of overspray, which is like, you know, if you're, if you're trying to sample a rock or something where you may not collect all of the liquid on the first pass, then, you can certainly catch it in a sterile uh, tub or something and then, you know, vacuum that up because, yeah, there might be DNA in there. But the important thing to me is that if there's DNA on that item, to me, the best chance of getting it is with the MVAC. The, the other method, either they're limited on this size of the surface area that they can cover or like a, a swab, which is basically a, a Q-tip, it just physically can't get down into the nooks and crannies where a lot of that DNA is going to be hiding. And, you know, some, in, in some cases, if you don't get everything you possibly can, then you just don't get enough to, to get a reading. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many cases that I've seen or and heard of where they tried another method, it didn't work, uh, or maybe they got a little bit of a signature, but not enough to, to say, yes, it's this person or, or it's not that person. And then they go back over the same area with the MVAC and they get plenty of it. And, uh, there's a, if you're familiar with the Crystal Bislanowicz case that happened here in Utah in 1996, uh, there was a river rock and, I, and there were several river rocks that were used to bludgeon Crystal to death. And they tried swabbing those river rocks and, and the granite. So if you can imagine how rough and porous, you know, sharp edges that a granite rocks have, you know, they, they could barely even get a signature with using the swab. But they got 21 nanograms of DNA material using the MBAC. And that may not sound like a lot, but it's 42 times more than what they needed to get a good, to get a full profile. And they weren't able to get even what they needed with the old methods. Right, right. So they got less than a half a nanogram with the swab, and they got 42 nanograms with the MVAC. Or, or, I'm sorry, 21 nan- nanograms, but 42 times more than what they needed. And, you know, that case, it, it just blew it out. And, and the prosecutors to this day are just like, we would have never solved that case if it hadn't been for the MVAC. Is there a couple questions if it comes to numbers or statistics? Is there like a, a number you can point to that says MBAC will, you know, on average get X amount more DNA collected from a material than, than with traditional methods? Well, there, there's not a solid number that's consistent. And that's because every single time you sample something, there's going to be variables that didn't exist in the, in the previous one. But, you know, the FBI tested the MBAC uh, and presented their findings at the ISHI. I, I can't even remember what ISHI stands for exactly now, but ISHI is kind of like the DNA conference. 
and they presented those results about a year and a half ago. And they, you know, it's the FBI, so they did an amazingly thorough uh, examination and, and comparison with different collection methods. And the MVAC was consistently, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30x better. And in, in some cases, like, you, the, the most impressive part of that study to me was when they would would use the swab on, like, a piece of clothing, for example. They'd use the swab first and then go back over it with the MVAC. And even in even after the swab had taken some of that DNA material away, the MVAC, on average, still collected something like 46 times more. That's incredible. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So now that we have an idea of how it works, how did you guys make that transition? I mean, the, the, you know, looking for bacteria in food and extracting DNA to solve crimes are pretty far apart. How did you guys get from one to the other? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. My my dad always had lots of um, lots of different ideas when he was first designing the MBAC, but but he grew up on a ranch in Idaho, and so. You know, the beef industry especially was near and dear to his heart. So that's kind of where his main focus was. But he always kind of knew that there were more applications that were out there, including like anthrax and, and military-grade uh, weapons, you know, spores, things like that that could be collected. And I, we've, we've gone through some of his notes, you know, since he passed away. And forensics was actually in there. And, you know, he, so he had thought about, collecting different DNA materials, including skin cells and saliva and things like that. But he'd never really had the chance to test it when he was, when he was first developing the MBAC. But what happened was, as, as we were out there, you know, talking to the beef industry and, and the spinach industry and, and pushing the MBAC in the food industry, I ran into an old college buddy who I'd gone into the military and he'd gone into the FBI. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, you know how guys are. We just, when, when we haven't seen each other for 15 years, you know, we, it takes us about five minutes to catch up mm-hmm. and <laughs> we're, we're relatively simple creatures, right? Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, he was saying, so what are, you know, what are you doing now? And I, and I was describing the MBAC to him in the context of collecting E. coli. And he was like, you know, something like that would have been amazing on some of my crime scenes. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, once in a while, a light bulb would go off. And so I thought, you know, maybe we ought to see how well it would work. So we took it to Sorensen, which was a a private lab here in Salt Lake City. And we took it to them and basically just dumped it on them and said, hey, you know, develop a protocol and test this thing for us and see what it does. And and when they came back with the results, they were just, they said, we, we never, we've never seen recoveries like this. This thing is amazing. And, they, and in fact, in so much so that they bought the system that they were using to, um, to, uh, to test it. And then they started launching into, uh, doing casework with it just almost immediately. So 
it, it uh, and it, it's just kind of, you know, it took us a couple more years of beating our head against the wall in the food industry to finally realize that, you know, forensics was where our future was. But, you know, eventually we smartened up and, and did the pivot in, in 2012. And like I said, that's where we've been ever since. So that, that's what I was going to ask you next is when did MVEX start being used? So, so in the, you know, this all has come up with our investigation into the West Memphis three case. And, you know, that's, it's just, it's a hotly debated case on, on the internet, especially, you know, people are like, well, you know, if they wanted to do this MVEX testing, they should have done it before they took their plea deal in 2011. So I, I guess a, a good place to, to move to now is when did, did MVEX start being used to solve crimes? And what was the process like? And when was it accepted as an acceptable science in the courts? Yeah, see, that's the, especially in the timeline of the West Memphis Three, uh, which I, you did a phenomenal job on that show, by the way. Thank I thought you. Thought you were killed, it, man. I, I was mesmerized by that show. So if they took that plea deal in 2011, the MBAC wasn't even on the scene yet. Mm-hmm. So they they wouldn't have even known about the MBAC and its and its DNA collection at that time. I mean the the Sorensen when Sorensen tested it, I think that was uh, 2010 time frame. You know, late 2010. Mm-hmm. But even when they did that, we still didn't really start like. Us as a company, we did, we didn't start really marketing in the forensics industry until 2012. And e- even when we started doing that, we we had no idea what we were doing. We'd never really talked to forensics people before, and so it was probably 2014 before we really started getting any traction. And like the first cases were coming up, so you, you know the the Daubert Fry type of hearings were probably 2014, 2013 at the earliest. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think, I don't think he, the prosecutors or anybody that was involved with the West Memphis three would have even known that this technology existed back then. Yeah. And if I'm, I'm trying to remember, but if I can get the cobwebs out a fry hearing, isn't that where they're, you know, the court is determining if a science is acceptable and can be used in court. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's and it's different states use different methods, but they're basically the same. It's essentially a like a court case within a court case. It's like a hearing within the court case mm-hmm. because whenever a new technology is introduced, and this, you know, there's some precedence that that when one state does it, and you know, there's a thorough examination of it, but pretty much every state has to do it, and so. When a new technology is introduced, the court has to stop the stop the case, stop the you know the whole trial, and basically go into this scientific hearing and listen to all the the evidence of why it was used and and the supporting documentation behind it. You know, was it used correctly? Was it sterile? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then you know, all the sides and the court has to agree that, yes, this is a, a valid scientific method, and and in our case, a collection method. And, you know, once it's accepted, then the trial can continue and the, the evidence will be uh, admitted. But if, if the dauber, if it failed, then whatever evidence was collected by that method gets thrown out. And so it was around 2014 when we started having these hearings and it was started being accepted by courts. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, 2013 might've, it, there might've been a case, uh, you know, it, it I'd, I'd have to go back and look to get exact, but 2013 is probably the very earliest, but 2014 is probably safer. Right. And th- so it was fair to say that in, you know, 2011, when the West Memphis three were going through their, you know, their negotiations and their, and their plea set up that there wouldn't have been anybody in that group that had said, well, Hey, before we do this, why don't we try M back? No, no, they wouldn't have even known about it. I mean, it, it, in 2011, the only system that was being, being even talked about or let alone used was the system that was at Sorensen Forensics. 
So, you know, they, and they were just talking, they're, you know, they're a regional lab. I mean, they, they, they used to do a lot of work nationally, but uh, at the time, they were just talking, like, with Salt Lake PD and, and local uh, jurisdictions about different cases that they could, that they could possibly use. Because back then, it was still basically experimental. Right. So, yeah, there, there's no way that the West Memphis folks would have even known about the, the, that the MBAC even existed. Yeah, and, and what I found, so even if we're talking 2013, 2014, where it was starting to be used in court system, I found in 2018, when I brought it up to the defense attorneys in um, the West Memphis 3 case, they had still never heard of it. I had to explain to them what it was. So it, it was still, I think now it's grown more in, in popularity. Uh, do you know if, if it has been used in, um, in any Arkansas cases to this day? Uh, you know, we, we are, we've been talking quite a bit with the Little Rock folks. And I know, you know, just recently they have, uh, used it on a couple of cases, but that's as far as I think that's about it. I, and that's, that's fairly recent. So it, as far as like the Arkansas crime lab, I'm, I'm positive that, well, I shouldn't say positive, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that, you know, the, the crime lab doesn't even process the, the filter or anything. You know, they, they had to go out of state in order to do it. So I don't think anybody in Arkansas has actually, you know, used it as, as a, a jurisdiction. And, you know, hopefully we'll have some systems in there you know, this year, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's why I'm, I'm just absolutely confident that the West Memphis police department didn't even know about this thing. Yeah. It, and, and I feel the same way. And, and that's, that's going to become important. I think is, you know, where we've, where we're at in the case right now is the district attorney is now that the evidence has been located is not going to Sounds like uh, do a joint motion allowing the testing. He's going to try to fight it. My presumption is that he's going to try to make an, a timeliness argument that well they should have done this earlier. And so all of the, all of what we're discussing right now, I think, is going to come up in court because they're going to have to. You know, the, the West Memphis Three team, I'm sure, is going to make the argument that this is new technology. It's never been used in Arkansas before. You know. Like you said, maybe just recently, but this, this is not something that was available to us or that anyone was aware of back then. Yeah. Yeah. There's, when, when this case was being investigated, the, I, there's no reason that any reasonable person would say they should have impacted it because and, at the time it wasn't even available. Yeah. And they have, uh, Arkansas has in their law where there's like a presumption of timeliness if testing is requested within three years of a conviction. Which would mean in you know August of uh, up till August of 2014, and I've heard people make that argument. Well, they could have they could have asked to use MVAC in the summer of 2014, and then and they got it. But it it wasn't. You think it's fair to say that it it still wasn't widely known, widely used, and certainly not in Arkansas at that point. No, no, we're you know we're we're in the same country, but I'm telling you, Utah and, and Arkansas are a long ways away. And right. I've, I've, <laughs> and ha- having been intimately involved in, in 2014, I mean, we were, it, it well, it, it, you said it yourself. There's people that still don't know about it. And, you know, for, for us to have been able to make it out to Memphis and, you know, and, and specifically talk to the, the detectives or whoever was investigating in 2014. We, it, we just hadn't had time by then. And I mean, we were, we were still just scrambling to learn the, the verbiage of, you know, how we even talked to investigators, let alone do, you know, math push on, you know, connecting with every detective in the country. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty difficult market, to be honest. I mean, I, I've been doing sales for a long time and, uh, you know, especially in today's environment, detectives just, and, and law enforcement in general just don't really want to be found. And so short of calling every single police department, 
and and trying to connect with the right people, it's a difficult process. And I, I can tell you just flat out that uh, Arkansas, in 2014, Arkansas wasn't even on our radar. I mean, we were talking to uh, agencies in Utah and California and Colorado and people just more regionally. Mm-hmm. And then we we were starting to push out into... Like, like we were being contacted by South Florida agencies. And so, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's almost like, you know, we'll, we'll get a, we'll get a, a unit into like our, the first unit in South Florida went into like Broward County Sheriff's Department. And then from there, it kind of branched out, but it was all locally around Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there isn't even a lot of units in North Florida yet. So, you know, to, to have expanded all the way out to Arkansas, it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And like I said, what I've noticed in, you know, all the cases that I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of lawyers about a lot of cases more so than what's just on the show. And I've, I've noticed in the last year or two, and I think part of that is probably, you know, on the TV show, we demonstrated what MVAC was. So that, that put it out there a little more and it's been in some other documentaries too. But up until in the last year, I've had multiple attorneys. I said, well, hey, maybe we can try MVAC DNA extraction for on some of this evidence. And up until I would say a year ago, 100% of the attorneys were like, what's MVAC? And then they'd go to the prosecutors and they were like, what, what is this? Is this, is this peer reviewed? Is it accepted technology? And, you know, it's, so it's, it's still, new it's still you know even though it's been going on 10 years now that you guys have been doing this type of work with it it's still a new technology yeah well you know our our biggest problem is we just don't like lawyers right (laughs) nobody does right (laughs) no i i'm getting that i you know it's it's interesting you know the 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 market's kind of divided up into you've got the crime scene investigators, you've got detectives, you've got the forensics analysts, you know, the, on the DNA side, and then you've got the legal side, both uh, defense and prosecutors. And there's such different animals trying to tackle those. You know, we we started with mostly the the forensics analysts and the the crime scene investigators, and it, you know, as we started getting you know, penetration into those markets. Then we started branching out into the detectives and, and we're, we're finally moving into the, the legal side. And so, yeah, we're hoping to, you know, reach a lot more of the attorneys, both prosecutors and defense attorneys and educating them on what the impact is in the next couple of years. But yeah, it's, you know, there's 700,000 cops out there. We got there. <laughs> and like I said, they're all disjointed. Most of them don't want to be found. And so yeah, being able to reach them is, is just a challenge. And, you know, we don't have to educate every 700, you know, every one of the 700,000. But at the same time, you know, the more that know about it, the more chance there are, just like you said, you know, people will bring it up. And, uh, you know, we, we get uh, a lot more questions every day from different different segments of the market. But it's still, it's, it's been a real challenge, way more than what I ever thought it would be to, to get the word out. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Back to the the West Memphis three. There's no reasonable reason, uh, if that's redundant, but there, there's no way they would know about the impact when they were actually investigating this. Right. So let's talk about that case a little bit and how how do you see MVAC working? Let's say we're we're able to test the evidence, and and we were looking at specifically 
you know, th- th- this this case is challenging because all three victims and all of their clothing was all submerged in a creek for 24 hours or for, you know, 18 hours, which has made it hard to find any kind of forensic evidence. And so, you know, one thing we were looking at specifically was the bindings. You know, there are, there are 12 knots in shoelaces that the killer tied that are still, those knots are still intact. Clothing, sticks that were used to shove the clothing down into the mud. How confident would you be that MBAC would be able to find DNA that could finally bring an end to this thing? Uh, you know, without actually seeing the evidence, that's a really difficult question to answer, to be honest. The one thing I can tell you with 100% confidence is that if there's DNA there and the investigators use the, the MBAC properly, the MBAC will get it. And it doesn't matter how porous it is, uh, you know, the, and if the evidence, I mean, there's so many factors, especially with this case and like what you're describing. First of all, it's, a, it's an old case. That means that the DNA is going to be more deteriorated than a fresh case. And uh, so that's, that's a problem. The problem, the, the fact that the victims, the clothing, the sticks, everything was submerged, that's a problem. You know, you guys out there in Arkansas have a lot of humidity. So there's a possibility that if the evidence wasn't dried completely, that there's mold. And mold inhibits the the DNA process, so that that could be a problem. You know, there's all sorts of factors that that go into this. But even with all of that, if there's DNA there, if there's viable DNA on any of that evidence, the MBAC will, the MBAC can, can collect it. And I, I I'm I'm yet to find a surface that it that it doesn't do well on. And well, backtrack. The FBI found that uh, raw sheetrock <laughs> is is not a good tool or is not a good surface for a wet vacuum. So go figure. You know, it's, I mean, it's basically spraying down chalk. Right. So, but but short of that, uh, especially the harder the surface, uh, like a stick, I would think. And so you know, in, in evaluating. That case, and you know, the only thing I really know about that case is is watching the West Memphis Three, the TV show. And like I said, I, I thought you guys did an amazing job in describing the crime scene and describing, you know, how it how it probably happened. But one thing's for sure is that the killer took six and forced the the clothing down into the mud, correct? Correct. Well, his DNA, I'm assuming it's a he, but his DNA would be all over the end of those sticks. And that, because just the force of that, you know, shoving stick. you know, I've, I've done that. Mm-hmm. Shoving sticks into a creek bed. And, you know, whether you're trying to catch fish or, or you know, stuff, a, a little boy's clothes down into the mud. Yeah, that takes a lot of force, and when you're pushing that hard, you're leaving a lot of your the the skin from your hands. You're leaving a lot of DNA in those sticks, and to me, that would be one of the big ones because the ends of those sticks weren't submerged. Now the problem is going to be back when this case actually happened. Um, you know, what are the chances that the detectives, when they found those, were wearing gloves when they pulled those sticks out? Right. Yeah, and actually, we have we have crime scene photos of because some of the sticks were fully submerged, and you, oh, okay. And you had a detective that was in the creek on his hands and knees pulling evidence out, and so that that was another question I was going to ask you: is could it be a drawback of MBAC that it collects so much DNA? I don't quite understand the. I, I understand the collection process better than the, the analyzing it. If we use MVAC to extract DNA, and we find a ton of DNA, but it's a mixture of multiple people, on the on the back end of that, is there technology that's able to separate that to get individual profiles? Well, 
regardless of whether you use them back or swabbing or any other method, you're going to have the exact same problem. Right. It, the difference is the MVAC is going to find more. Now, most of the time, that's an advantage. Sometimes it's not. But what, what has to happen when, yeah, more isn't always better, but not enough is always bad. Okay. So imagine, I mean, everybody's seen a heart monitor. And, you know, like when someone's hooked up to, uh, you know, they've got that little thing on their finger and it's telling, and it's showing their heartbeat. And it's kind of like you've got those blips that show the, you know, the heart, the heartbeat, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if the heart is stronger, then the blip is going to be higher. You know, the peak is going to be higher. Well, that's kind of what the signature of, uh, DNA looks like. And there's 24, if I, 23 or 24 spots on the the DNA chain that uh, they look at in order to say, this is Bob Ross and this one's Jared Bradley mm-hmm. and how they decipher it. So my blips are going to be in different places along the, it's called an allele. Uh, it's going to be in different places than yours are. And that's how they can, they can decipher you know, who's DNA. Now they, they also have to have something to compare it to. So they have to get DNA from me and they usually do that with a buckle swab. You know, they'll take a, a Q-tip and run it around the inside of my cheek. And then that's a single source. They know that's only me. So that's a, that's a pure sample. And then they'll get DNA from the crime scene to compare it with. Well, if you're, if you're collecting DNA from I don't know, say like a hotel room and hundreds of people have been in there, then it's all just going to be noise. And it's, you know, it's going to be like a, a radio, a radio wave that are not tuned in to the right frequency. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to herbal noise everywhere. Well, I, I think the maximum they can decipher from is if they have like, uh, I think five, maybe six people, but the more people that you get in there, the more garbled it looks. And so, but let's say that that stick had the killer and the detective on it, you know, so let's say they were able to collect some DNA off of those sticks or, or the clothing or whatever they had. Then as long as nobody else has touched it, you could decipher between those two people, you know, the odds of them being related is pretty low. Right. And so so their peaks are going to be in much different places along the graph than you know they're they're going to be in different places from each other. So you can take the two reference samples and like you can you can get the one from the detective that was holding up the stick you know crawling around on his hands and knees and if say he pulls the stick out leaves his DNA on the stick, well, that's okay. You can still collect it all, and then they can decipher that at the end. Now, if you had five detectives that were all like, oh, yeah, I want to see that, and you grab the stick, and then they're all, all their DNA is on there, then, you know, that's going to be a lot more of a problem. But most of the time, even, even back then before DNA was really on the scene, you know, really... Um, um, you know, most of them are like, you know, maybe there's, your fingerprinting was there. And so most detectives were pretty, pretty good about it, about not, um, touching something that they shouldn't necessarily be. Right. But, you know, uh, and until about the mid nineties, nobody really knew that DNA was even a factor. And uh, it, it wasn't widely used until, you know, after like 2000. So. Right, and nobody was really thinking about touch DNA back then at all. The little bit of DNA they were thinking about in 1993 was maybe blood, saliva, semen. Right, right. And back then, it took a ton. You know, it it, it would take a a blood spot the size of a silver dollar, basically, in in order to give any kind of you know what kind of blood type this is, and so decide well he was A positive or O negative or something like that, but. Yeah, the amount of DNA that you need now 
versus back then, oh, it's just incredible. Yeah, you only need ten cells now. Yeah, and it's it's so. I'm glad to hear that you said you know they 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 should be able to separate four or five or six. Because what I was thinking of was uh, Susanna Ryan told us at Pure Gold that she thinks she has the highest confidence in the bindings because one, she said that people tend to shed skin cells when they're tying knots. And two, because they were tied up into a knot, the inside of those knots would be protected from the water. You know, it wouldn't get washed away as easily as stuff maybe on the outside. But then it's like, well, you know, we potentially, you know, if we MVAC that we may find the killer's DNA the boys' DNA, the boys' parents' DNA, if they help them tie their shoes. I don't know how long all that would last, but you, know, you may end up you may end up with three or possibly four different profiles within that knot. But you think of if let, let's say they came up with four profiles. Typically, can they separate those out if they have reference samples? Well, it, there's some software uh, like Trulele, and uh, I can't remember the other one uh, off the top of my head, but. It's a software that they, they'll they'll put the the results of the DNA into the software, and it kind of filters it out. and And it it's pretty amazing what it can do. So as long as they have enough DNA, uh, and it it's got a decent you know a strong signal, then yeah, they, they at least there's a shot. Right. That's that's great. And and so I I guess I'll I'll end by circling back to what you said earlier. So. You say it's fair to say that if because I, I've said after my after spending years investigating this case that it's not going to be a new witness, it's not going to be a new statement. There's too many. The, 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 everything's too saturated with all the media and everything in there to have some witness come forward and solve this case. It's going to take science. It's going to take forensics. Would you, do you would you agree? It's fair to say that if this case is able to be solved with DNA, that the MBAC is what we need to find it. Uh, well, I, I, I would have to almost say it has to because I, I, I can't imagine that they haven't tried other methods. Right. Yeah. They, you know? They've, they've swabbed those, those laces and things before. Well, if they, yeah, especially if, if they've already tried swabbing and probably some cuttings on the clothing and things like that and haven't gotten the results that they need to move the case forward, then yeah, the, you know, the MVAC is about their only option. All right. Well, b- before I let you go, Jared, um, again, I want to thank you for, for joining me uh, and, and, and helping instruct us all on this and, and get a better understanding of it. Uh, but I, did, I did want to mention, too, I didn't realize this until you reached out to me, but, but is it you have a podcast or is it, is it through uh, MBAC? Uh, to tell everybody where they can listen and watch you on your podcast. Well, it's kind of a combination. Uh, it's called All Things Crime. And when COVID hit, you know, we, all of our conferences and everything was all shut down. And so we were kind of looking at different ways to reach our customers. And we said, well, you know, why not start uh, posting some videos and things on LinkedIn? And so I, I'm really active on LinkedIn. And if anybody wants to uh, connect with me there, that would be awesome. But then All Things Crime is uh, all of our, our uh, videos are posted on YouTube. And then it's on pretty much every uh, uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes and all that. So, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have uh, anybody to come and listen to us. All right. Well, there you go. You, if you want to hear more from, uh, from Jared, you can check out All Things Crime, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube. And again, Jared, thank you very, very much for taking the time to to talk with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. You keep uh, pushing out there because you know these boy, what a what an amazing, amazingly sad case. And those little boys, one way or another, they need justice. And uh, whoever this guy is, that uh, or people or whoever uh, that killed these little boys, they need justice too. And uh, be on the, the receiving end of it. So whatever we got to do to help these little boys get justice, man, let's do it. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. 
produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Merb Gaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.